Welcome to Pastoring Out Loud, a podcast from South Cities Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. Learn more at southcities.church. It is, the high is like 52 degrees on a Wednesday in January. Come on. Yes. How, uh, how are we feeling? Super. <laughs> I don't have a jacket with me today. I'm like... So good. Is it 50 right it's now? It's going to be 50 We today. should be outside recording this podcast. No, let's not go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> let's, not, let's not do too much. I don't remember. This is like Ohio weather. Like growing up in Ohio, the weather was schizo. I remember a 72 degree day, Christmas day. Like it was just like, and then the next year it was like 20 with a wind chill of zero. Mm. Way to go, Minnesota. Being more like Ohio. Do you guys have plans for the nice weather? Are you gonna do anything? You're gonna go on a walk. Anybody gonna go out on a lake? No, no takers. I wouldn't do that. Mm. I saw Crystal Lake was completely cleared from all the people that were there just yesterday or two days ago. So everybody got off, just in case. What are you gonna do, Nick? I don't know. Just be happy about it. Okay. I'm You're- probably not gonna alter my schedule. You're not going to go lay out in the sun. It's not warm enough to do that yet. Okay. Okay. Hmm. Right. When it gets really warm in uh, the middle of winters, like what what uh, what do you do? Do you go on a walk? Do you try to, you know, like one of the things that we try to do historically is try to go actually ice skating. So on the outdoor arenas so that it's really warm, but the ice is still kind of there. You know, the one end is kind of like a puddle, so you don't go over in that end. But at least this way you're not catching, you know, getting sick while you're outside for half hour or more. It's one thing we try to do. Hmm. I will, on my walks from buildings to my car, I will rejoice. Mm. Oh, so much different. I'm going to try to go on a walk. A walk sounds nice. Definitely. Yes. Maybe we should go on a walk after this. Hmm. Hmm. So um, we're going to talk today about a church that lost its loving feeling. Hmm. It was gone, gone, gone. Church in Ephesus. So in Roman or in Revelation chapter two, uh, we have uh, the church at Ephesus. And what we thought we'd do for this series of about four podcasts was just talk about the churches, the seven churches. We'll take one today, and then probably two each of the next three times that we're recording the podcast, and essentially just say like, hey, what do we learn about what a church should be from this, and what should we do as a church? What does that look like to be that? So not mega exegetical, not like the recap, you know, as Dave and others are preaching through the um, the seven churches, you know, that will be more of something that we talk about on the recap. But here it's more like at a high level, what was wrong at Ephesus? And what can we learn about what kind of church we should be? So uh, Revelation chapter two, verses one through, who's got Revelation chapter two, one through seven and can read it for us. I think it's one through seven, right? Sure. Thanks, Nick. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who hold the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. 
I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So what does it mean that a church is supposed to be loving? Loving towards whom? Like this is softball season right now. So, you know, here you go. Here's softball. What does it mean that a church should be loving? I think it means that we should love God and love our neighbors. And is that a feeling? <laughs> is that just a feeling, Nick? A, a, a feeling of love? Nope. Okay. It's not. All right. Because it says, return to your first love and do the works that you did at first. Okay. Ooh. So uh, love is a work. Stacy's just going, ooh, into ooh. the microphone. A snap. <laughs> Keep going, Nick. Yeah, Nick, go on. You're on a roll. Tell us more. Well, so the fruit, the fruit of true love is acts of love. You know, so it, there is, it is in your heart, you know, there's true love in your heart towards God and others, but that should work itself out in works. Yeah. Yeah. So the church at Ephesus, which apparently had been loving at some point in, in that kind of way, you know, in a active sort of way towards God and towards others, apparently that had stopped and yet they were patiently enduring and yet they could recognize falsehood. They had, uh, at least in some measure, faithfulness that was going on, but there was something that was lacking. They, they had lost. How do, how do churches lose that loving feeling and loving actions? How does that come about? I mean, it, it seems like the, uh, the emphasis for them was to uh, doctrinal faithfulness, yep. uh, which is good and necessary and really, really important for church to endure, to know who they are in Christ and who he is and what's good and what's not good. Um, but it seems like uh, because of the works coming, because they are, the works they are doing are the works of that kind of uh, testing and that uh, not bearing with those who are evil. So it makes me just think, you know, perhaps they were so inward and doctrinally focused that they had forgotten that that doctrine was meant to produce, like Nick said, the love, the love for God and for each other. And I also, as I've read, you know, as I've been studying, reading through commentaries, also a uh, disposition of love towards the world that hated them. So not just love God and love for each other, mm-hmm. But also, man, you don't you won't bear with evil. That's good, you know. Don't go there. But you're kind of like cloistered and, and hidden away here, rather than still having a stance of, man, this is what the world needs now is love. You know, the love of God, <laughs> the love of God in Christ. Um, so that so that instead of being an embassy of the gospel that wanted to show the goodness and beauty of Jesus. They were, you know, like a, a little fortress that just wanted to keep it all to themselves and avoid all that was bad. And 
uh, avoiding what's bad and staying near to the truth is really important, but also having that truth work itself out in, in love for each other and the world that hates you, I think is the mark of a true and faithful and healthy church. And so I think that that's another aspect of not just love for each other and, and do those works, but love for the world around you too. Yeah. So talk about the, I mean, is that a, is that necessarily happen when churches become very precise in their theology? They know how to sniff out false doctrine. Is that a necessary temptation or a necessary thing that happens that they either tend to be or they would become, you know, less loving? Certainly I've been around churches. Uh, there was a, a church that I spent a season at that said, you know, seminary is cemetery mm. for Christian faith mm. because your head just gets so puffed up. You forget what you're actually supposed to be doing. Uh, is that kind of sentiment? Like, is there some validity to that? Is there, or is that, uh, you know, perhaps pejorative, just kind of a, you know, a, a straw man argument? What do you think? I People who have all been <laughs> to seminary at various yeah, I, I think that it is not necessary, not necessary, I hope it's not necessary that as we know God more through studying and being precise about who he is, that we love him and others less. So I don't think it's necessary. I think that sometimes you can get to places where the emphasis on the precision and on the faithfulness just to the doctrine, you know, is so emphasize and it's just become such a, a thing that gets so much attention that maybe you can lack giving attention to, okay, so, so, so what, you know, so yeah. what's that doing in your heart for God or your heart for your neighbors or your heart for whoever and that it maybe is, maybe it could be a, an, an easy thing to lose balance on, you know, um, yeah. it could be imbalanced yeah. quickly if, there's just too much emphasis. I don't know, but I don't. I don't. I don't think it's necessary. I hope yeah, that I'm yeah. getting more and more precise about what I know about God and growing in my love for Him and others. Yeah, I think all true doctrine should end in in true ethics. So, doctrine divorced from ethics, or what you believe divorced from what you do, is uh, I mean, is hypocrisy, right? So that's the that's the uh, what. Paul, you know, criticizes various people for in some of his letters, like either they've forgotten what they knew or their knowledge has puffed them up about what they've known. Mm -hmm. And they've forgotten that all true belief and true affection treasuring leads to right doing or mm -hmm. uh, proper ethics. That was, I think we did that in the systematic theology series we did. I don't remember how long, maybe earlier last year where um, the last time we talked about was with uh, Professor Rick Shank and he came in and talked about like all true doctrine leads to ethics. It can't be divorced from, divorced from that. And if it is divorced from that, something's gone wrong uh, along the way. The, the verse I think of is from James 2, you know, or yeah. James 2.18. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. It says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Uh, so <laughs> part, of the, part of the mark of true saving faith is 
that it it worships and it loves. You know, we could go to all the stuff before this about love and moving towards the need and moving towards those in need. And we don't want to be demon-like in our faith where we, yeah, we know a lot of stuff, but it doesn't move us to worship or to love, which I think is what James is trying to show about the nature of saving faith there. Since we're talking about love, you can't not talk about 1 Corinthians 13. You know, if you um, understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith but have not love, mm-hmm. you're nothing. If you understand all apocalypses <laughs> but have not have love, love mm-hmm. it's nothing. It's, I mean, that's a, yeah, just a clear picture, and it's always convicting to read that chapter. Well, the thoughts on uh, this command to the Ephesians, how it might apply to South City's church, kind of where we're coming. Again, we're a church, you know, that uh, certainly all you got to do is go to the website and you see lots of theological precision, lots of things believed, lots of, hey, here's how this even works out in comparison to probably your average, uh, your average evangelical church. Um, are we under threat of losing our first love? Of stopping from doing works that we've done at first or anything along those lines? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that's always a something to be aware of and actively work against, you know? Um, we could get there. Uh, you know, I'm not sure. You know, we have historically been, you know, really good doctrinally and precise doctrinally. And... Um, yeah, I think we could probably do better in our how that outworks in our how that works out <laughs> in our you know in the works that we produce for those around us and not just one another although that's true but to those outside. Um, so yeah, I mean, I th- I just think that's something that, that's good. That like, we should take this as a word and say, yeah, we need to not lose our first love and to make sure that that works out in how we love those that are around us with real works of love that point to our love for God. I I mean, I was just thinking about how, you know, at various stages in Bethlehem's history, which is the church that we're born out of, you know, they made decisions that were huge decisions, like switching the language of their service Mm-hmm. mainly because there were immigrants, you know, like around them that they wanted to be able to have participate. And that feels to me like a very practical outworking of love, you know, for the people around them. And so maybe that'd be a, a, just a good litmus test for us is to say, you know, are we, we're, we're not, uh, not, not that we change what we preach or anything we believe or water anything down, but are we kind of aware of the world around us? Are we aware of our brothers and sisters here at this church? And what are we doing to orient our lives and to bring the gospel to bear in those spaces? You know what I mean? Whether it's in each other's lives to, you know, take the time and the energy to lean in and love each other well, even when it's hard, because church is messy. Uh, church is messy and uh, and takes time and, and to the the world around us, you know. So how are we how are we doing that individually, and then even collectively as a church? I think it's a good it's a good word for us. Yeah. Looking forward to the sermon 
and uh, unpacking some of the meaning here in the situation. And then, yeah, what we can learn as a church and how we can be. Because I do think all these letters are for all the churches. Yeah. You know, we're supposed to see ourselves in each of them, not, you know, say, hey, we're essentially this church and then bail on the other six. Uh, right. But see it all. Let the Spirit, uh, let he who has an ear hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.